You're listening to 2325 Fitness, your favorite health and fitness podcast with your hosts, Rafi Husseini and Talha Javed. In this episode, our guest, Tom McCormick, has an MSc in strength and conditioning, has more than 10,000 hours of training under his belt. We talk about skinny fat, talk about muscle building, talk about calorie surplus, calorie deficit, and much more. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back, everyone, to your favorite health and fitness podcast, 2325 Fitness. Today, we have with us a very special guest. He is, I would say, indirectly my mentor when it, come, when it comes to fitness information and learning about health and fitness, especially over the past year, year and year and a half. Tom McCormick has earned his BSc in sports science and coaching. He has an MSc in strength and conditioning, and he has undertaken countless of professional courses, and he has more than 10,000 hours under his training. And from what I know, Tom, and I know that you mentioned this a lot, is that you are really like a scrawny, skinny kid, and you learned and learned and learned and learned from a lot of mistakes, and you were able to put like 40 pounds of lean muscle. So, Tom, just to get us started, just to enlighten the audience, let us know a little bit about like what got you motivated, like a skinny kid, you know, like for a lot of people, that's fine, as long as they're not fat or overweight, that's good. So what made you go like, no, you know what, this is not what I want, I want to build muscle. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, um, firstly, thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, and yeah, in, in terms of my uh, my motivation there, basically, I was a pretty good rugby player as a, a youngster. So I um, I played uh, international age group level rugby, uh, under 19 and under 21 level. And I was signed to a professional club when I left school. And my, my dream job was to be a rugby player, a professional rugby player. Now, I don't know how much you know about rugby, but most of those guys are pretty big. And I was... Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, sorry, but just because you brought up rugby, the American football, they're kind mm. of similar in terms of physique. Yes, yeah, exactly. That would be uh, be a very fair assessment, and actually also an interesting sport in as much as there's different physiques within the sport. So right. you know, um, there's again, I'm not an expert, particularly on American football, but you've got the, you know, a defensive tackle is going to look very different to a wide receiver. Uh, in, in rugby, it's the same. There's, there's different shapes for different positions. Anyway, the, the position that I played, um, like you can, you can get reasonably high on um, skill, uh, sort of game awareness and tactical understanding and, and just basically being quite good and then to make the next jump you need to be that bit bigger and all I ever was told was you just need to be bigger you're good but you need to be bigger and then like, I, I sort of progressed through the ranks uh, up to the point where it, I just <laughs> being being you know skillful was nowhere near uh, good enough um, I was I was I was tiny compared to the guys I was up against anyway I I had also you know I've been bullied and uh, as a skinny kid like I was <laughs> It wasn't like I was in pretty good shape, quite, quite a big guy, just not as big as like these absolute freaks. I was naturally, you know, someone who was skinny enough to be bullied. And then when you then put me in with the physical freaks, suddenly that's magnified and, uh, and it brings it home to you. So I left school being skinnier than the other school kids. And then like only a few weeks later, I'm training with uh, like the South African captains in our team. And, you know, and, and then you suddenly realize quite how small you are. Anyway, long story short, I needed to gain size to, uh, to compete. Uh, I'd love to say I embraced that challenge. Um, I'm ashamed in some respects to say the honest thing was at the time I tried to swerve it. I was like, man, like it's, it's no fun going into the gym and um, 
you know, your working weight literally being a warm up. Like people joke about someone's in there and then some other guy strolls in and picks up their weight and just cranks it out. Well, I had that exact experience um, um, myself. Well, you know, I, I got a five rep max on a bench press and the guy literally wandered in and did like 20 reps, could have done 30 or 40, like, you know, stack weight on. Um, so I found the gym quite intimidating. I'd always enjoyed the conditioning side of things, but lifting weights, I really wasn't into. I would, I would try and be, you know, have an injury to see the physio just about the time we were meant to be in the gym lifting weights. And, and somehow I'd be, I'd be available for the rugby practice and the skill stuff, but I'd always swerve that. Um, and I realize I'm taking a, a, an excessively detailed uh, description here, but basically uh, I was at the club on a professional contract for three years. The final year, um, it got real in terms of they're like, your contract won't get renewed if you don't gain some size. And then one of the guys had taken me aside and he was like, look, go in the gym, lift every day for two weeks. He, he's what, he was a beast, like, like an absolute monster of a man, like really, really uh, big, strong guy. Um, and no nonsense guy from like Yorkshire, if, you, uh, if you're familiar at all with the UK. Anyway, and he's like, look, it's not the right thing to do from your training, but it, you'll, be a, you'll be addicted. You'll, be, uh, you'll, you'll get fine and fall in love with lifting and then that's what you need. And he was right. Like once you start to see a bit of progress, I was fascinated. It took over. I then became obsessed with it. And just, uh, I know that you just, uh, I mean, you just talk about like rugby and how that just poor, but also you have a background in like sports medicine and like strength and conditioning. So, so, so that, that came come later. Okay. That came after. Yeah. Yeah. So basically what happened was after that year, like well, right at the end of that three year period at the, um, at the first club I was at, I, my contract wasn't renewed. I can't have any complaints. My, I just wasn't big enough. Um, you didn't and then I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, then, then I went and played semi-professionally. So the, the division below, pretty good standard. You still need to be big. But by that stage, I was interested in training and I needed a career to go in alongside. You get paid, you don't get paid well enough to make this, you know, to, to live off this. So I became interested in, well, I, I've, I've learned to love training and I found like real value in the, the benefits I've had both physically, but also psychologically. I'd love to explore that more. So then I got a personal training qualification. And then I had a career ending knee injury for rugby. Like one year later, I could never, I've never played again since I was 22 career over from rugby. I had a PT qualification under my belt and I was like, well, I was, I was studying part-time at uni at, when I first was at the rugby club, like I should go back to university. So then I went by then it would mean, I was really fascinated. So then that's when I did the sports science and coaching degree. And then the masters followed on from that and it all kind of snowballed. That's, that's really impressive. I mean, how you're kind of like, your passion for rugby diverted you to completely take a field and understanding how well your body works and the science behind it. That's mm-hmm. really amazing. Yeah. I'm just trying to think that you said that in rugby, like these people are like beasts and like, you know, you were like a really tiny kid, but you are still pretty tall. Like you have, you have the height. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm quite tall. Uh, so like, on, on a good day, maybe I'm six foot three. I'm probably, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably six, two in a shape. Yeah, yeah, not quite tall enough for that. But the, the sad reality is, so in my in my position, so for anyone who is, is familiar with rugby, I played in the back row, number eight or blindside flanker. Um, they're probably on average six four, six five. Um, so I wasn't excessively tall. I was just you know, yeah, right. tall, 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 tall enough, just about. But they were, you know, they were maybe one hundred and ten kilos, and. Uh, and, and I wasn't, <laughs> and I wasn't, I wasn't that close. Um, I, I, le- I left school and I was like, <laughs> I genuinely, <laughs> I was like 86 kilos. I, I was in the, the international setup and they weighed you for the under 19s. And I genuinely, you hear silly stories. I genuinely stuffed my pockets with stuff to get on the scales <laughs> because I, I knew that they could look at me and go, he's not that big. But I felt like if at least the number on the scales was a bit bigger than they thought it would help. 
So, uh, so all these silly things you do to try and um, try and try and impress people. Uh, so a little great. bit about rugby, though. I remember my first uh, experience ever watching a game. It was I used to play club lacrosse in college, and I witnessed my first rugby game. These guys are the toughest people I've ever seen in my life. There was one play. The guy was running with the ball. I don't know what you call it. The whole group tackled this guy. But after he got up, I just saw blood gushing from his head. And what happened was at the bottom of the pile, someone's cleat, I guess, kicked him from the back of his head to the front. And this guy was like, I need to go back in the game. It's nonstop blood just pouring like he needs stitches. And I was like, that's insane. They have no pads. These guys hit harder than football players sometimes. And I don't know. They got the mentality of like a beast like you guys are talking about. So props to you, man. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's an odd one, though, because like, so in the game, like the adrenaline's rushing and it's it's within the rules of the game. Like it doesn't even bat an eyelid. Like, you, like, yeah. uh, you, you blood pouring all over the face. And they like now they have like they literally stop you from playing and come and the doctor treats you. Uh, but uh, like I, I had, you know, so like in the game, I'm like that. But, but down walking on the street, if something like that happened, I'd, I'd probably be making a huge scene. I'd be, oh no! Oh. So it's uh, it's funny how you cross the white line and the mentality shifts. About yeah, yeah. Me. So going back to when uh, you know you got in that phase of trying to build muscle and you realize like it's something you're interested in. I'm sure all of us have these mistakes, and uh, I guess we see stuff on YouTube or other people doing. But what are some of the biggest mistakes you see beginners making trying to build that muscle on? Yeah, great question. Oh, there's so many, right? Um, and, and as you say, I think one of, the, one of the great things is there's so much information, but it's also one of the worst things because there's so many conflicting pieces of advice. And it's, um, if you know, you guys have got an interest now and you have a filter for this is useful, this isn't. But if you're, and I was the same when I first started out, you don't know what to trust and what not to. So, you know, you have to learn by making some errors. And if you can find someone to guide you along that and, and short circuit that, that's a great thing. So some things that I see commonly, um, we're not training specific, for example, for the muscle gain, if muscle gain is your goal, not training specifically for that. So people not realizing um, that strength and muscle gain are linked, but they're not uh, 100% correlated. And they'd, maybe they, they focus on moving weight from A to B. I did it. I got like, I, you know, I was, I was chasing certain weights on the bar on certain lifts, thinking this will gain size. But actually, all it was meaning was I was more efficient at moving that weight from point A to point B and not necessarily doing or taxing my muscles to provide a muscle building stimulus. That's, that's what I see a, a lot of. Uh, number two would be a program hopping. People don't realize that this takes time. Uh, muscle building is a slower process than fat loss um, and you have to delay instant gratification and stick with a, a program and allow it time to to work uh, and then people flip from one to the other and then this is over simplistic but you're giving your body different signals so just as it's starting to adapt and make those adaptations and positive adaptation I mean that's what you want you want your body to make adaptations to the stimulus you impose on it they switch and they're doing something else and and they never really uh, take advantage of any of those training modalities mm -hmm. and then I suppose the other one I see is that people like their diet culture is heavily influenced by the weight loss mindset right because the biggest problem is obesity and people losing weight um, and so most of the stuff out there is geared towards how you can achieve a calorie deficit one way or another and one of those and I fell victim to this was um, low carbs and people getting lean on a low carb diet and then assuming oh if I just eat more food but more of the same food so i'm still low carb i can get jacked and actually that limits their progress uh, not consuming sufficient carbohydrates so those would be the the three that immediately spring to mind so just a few few points on that i know that there's been some research done on the fact that i know protein is a huge factor when it comes to building muscle but there's also some research done that carbs play a small role as well 
and come to like muscle rebuilding is that yeah uh, i think carbohydrates are an incredibly powerful tool if muscle gain is your your goal um with your hierarchy of needs that you you need sufficient protein in your diet first of all uh, it's it's of primary importance like the, the the literal translation from greek is of primary importance um, but once that's in place and once you have sufficient protein um, then carbohydrates are hugely um, effective and, and fundamental so um, to some extent your body uh, regulates you know building new muscle tissue through a feedback loop based on your glycogen muscle glycogen levels so if they're always low building muscle is not going to be a priority for you likewise um Carbohydrate is the dominant energy source for your central nervous system, but also, also for high intensity activity and lifting weights is a high intensity activity. So if you want your training to be of the best quality um, and your recovery from that to be of the best quality, you want to consume carbohydrates. Um, and, and a lot of people are quite carb phobic and they limit their carbohydrate consumption and they therefore, to some extent, limit their capacity to build muscle. What about yeah. um, good carbs versus bad carbs, like sweet potatoes versus some other kind of, you know, people say the healthier carbs. Okay, so uh, I like well, everything depends, but the chances of you getting in great shape eating pop tarts, protein shakes, and peanut butter yeah. are not the same as if you have a good varied whole food diet, right? But uh, again, it's a hierarchy of needs. So for building muscle, number one. Uh, is a calorie surplus. You need to eat enough calories to, to gain weight, to build muscle. Uh, as an absolute beginner, you can gain muscle and lose fat at the same time, or if you're coming off a long layoff. But realistically, if you want to build muscle, you'll need to gain weight on scales, and that's by having a surplus. So the most important thing is to achieve that surplus. Next is the ratio of protein, carbs, and fats. Uh, so uh, the, the macronutrients and then it comes into, you know, you then you consider quality of those sources. So that's when carbohydrates kick in and good versus bad, I suppose. So if you are in a surplus and you're eating an appropriate protein, carbon, fat ratio for your, for your goals, then, okay, can I get a little bit better results if I prioritize uh, sweet potato, oats, rice, fruits over, mm -hmm. I know, like, yeah, like Pop-Tarts, for example. Yes, I think there is a marginal gain there there is a more significant benefit to your health than there is your physique, Does that, if that makes sense. So you might, you might externally not look too different if you've got person A eats only good, quote unquote, good carbs and person B eats a lot of bad carbs. Uh, they may not look too different, but almost certainly internally, uh, their health markers will be a, a little bit different. And the longer that happens, the longer that, the, the, more, the greater that difference. And then, as I said, building muscle takes time, right? And you need to stay healthy, uh, as healthy as possible for as long as possible. So you probably find it's a marginal gains difference, but that accumulates. Okay. Absolutely. And I think one, one thing, one really interesting thing that you mentioned that a lot of people, you talked about program hopping, correct? And I think I can say that this was me for a while that I wasn't really on any program or program hopping, but necessarily, but I later found out that there's a four to six week period for your workout programming and even your diet, you know, you cannot be uh in a really long deficit for a really long time a lot of people get in that mindset of like i'm in a deficit for like six months now and my scale's not going down so how would you say that for those people what 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 should they do should they like increase their activity should they go back to a maintenance phase should they change their workout program like from a calorie perspective how does that factor in 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so I think, well, the first thing for people to know is if they've got realistic expectations, they can assess themselves like, am I, am I falling short of these? Does something need to change? So for both muscle gain and fat loss, it's worthwhile knowing what's, what's realistic. Uh, and then, of course, you might want to pick, am I going hard and fast or am I going slow and steady? And, and there's both have benefits. And then again, it's, it's finding the right one for the individual. So just, just to give you an idea, I would suggest that if you're gaining uh, in a surplus and trying to build muscle, a quarter to a half a percent of your body weight gain per week is a good place to be. You can guarantee you're maximizing muscle gain, uh, but you're keeping body fat in check to some extent. It's important to note that if you're in a surplus, you will gain a bit of body fat, but you can diet that away much, much quicker uh, at the end. So it's better to be confidently in a surplus to gain and then, and then cut that off. Likewise, in a deficit, if you're looking to lose fat, uh, as a rule of thumb, half to 1% of your body weight loss per week is a, is a good rule of thumb. Now, depending on if you're achieving that, I suppose number one is that, uh, do you need to adjust and come to maintenance and, and things? Um, how much fat you have to lose is another factor, right? If you're mm -hmm. someone who's morbidly obese, you can, you can lose half a, a kilo a week for a long time before you've got any issues with um, maybe needing to go to a maintenance phase. If you're someone who's pretty lean and they just wanna get absolutely shredded, then the risk of muscle loss increases the leaner you get and you may not need that prolonged diet. So basically I'm not answering the question directly, but it, it, it's a, it's a depends. Yeah. But if you've, if you've got, the, there's plenty of research now coming out about the benefits of um, intermittent dieting and that's where you have diet breaks where you go up to maintenance. And so uh, for example, two weeks of dieting followed by two weeks uh, at maintenance. Uh, so those, you know, maintenance means you're just eating to maintain that weight. You're not, you're not in a surplus at that point, you're not gaining weight, but you're just, it's a diet break. Uh, so you're not in that deficit. Um, and then some other ones with slightly different ratios, they work really well. And the, the great thing with those is for people that need sustainable weight loss, they achieve exactly that. It is quite a sustainable approach. You two weeks I'm dieting. It's not that aggressive two weeks I'm at maintenance and two weeks and, I, and you can put that together for months on end uh, and, and get great results. But you've got to bear in mind, if, if you want to get shredded for the beach in six weeks time, that approach isn't matching your goals. So then maybe it's a case of I go hard, I go fast and then I back off. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we talked about earlier as well about the, the Matador diet. I mean, that's a whole different conversation, but that's what the concept is. It's a slower, slower progress, but you're, at the same time, you build a healthy relationship with food and you're not like in a deficit for the longest time. Now, yeah. on that note, I know that this is probably like one of the most common questions you get a lot of times is that being a skinny kid who on average, like from a, from a human perspective, is eating only 1,500 calories, how do I eat in the surplus? You know, like a lot of people say that, oh, drink your calories. But if someone who doesn't have that appetite, someone who's never like had that much food in their entire life, how can they start off and get used to it to be able to build more muscle? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Good question. Uh, yeah, and something that I sort of personally have uh, had to go through. Um, I think the first thing is to understand it's trainable. Uh, your appetite can be uh, can be trained, and your capacity to consume food. Um, and it's important. Don't look at the top bodybuilders' diet in the magazine now and think you need to eat that. That's appropriate to him who weighs 280 pounds, is on a boatload of uh, performance enhancing drugs uh, a decade more or more into their lifting career and, have, and they have themselves have progressed to that. Start with where you are, with what you're capable of and just look for, it's progressive overload applies in the kitchen as well. Um, you do a little bit more in the gym, you, you do an extra rep, do a little bit more weight and you gradually incrementally progress to create a stimulus. 
Likewise with the kitchen, you may only be able to consume 1500 calories now and, and in time you'll get to 3000. You don't have to make that jump in one go. You bridge the gap bit by bit. So that would be my first thing uh, to say. And then in terms of strategies of how you can consume more calories, you touched on one that can be very effective, liquid calories. Sure. Um, they, they can work. They can work very well. Um, particularly if there's times a day where you're not hungry. So I would say if you're someone struggling to gain weight, never skip breakfast because intermittent fasting has plenty of benefits. But if you are someone who struggles to gain weight, artificially limiting your eating window doesn't make sense. Well, not if you want to gain weight, it doesn't. So don't skip breakfast, but you may not have an appetite for a whole food meal at breakfast. So you might not have time if your schedule is hectic. That's the time when a liquid meal can get you the nutrients. It's very um, time efficient. Uh, it doesn't really affect digestion. Almost anyone can drink some food, uh, some water yeah. or some liquid. Very, very few times when you actually feel so stuffed that you're like, I can't even drink this. So it works well there. Um, so the breakfast is one of the key times. And the second thing I'd say with liquid calories is eat first, drink second. So if you find appetite is a limiting factor, maybe you can have lunch, you have as much as you're able, but that's going to leave you short of the calories you need. After that meal, take the, take the, take the shake. You've, you've mixed it up in advance perhaps to have with you if you're out and about but you have the proteins and carbs and fats all blended up in, in a blender. It's ready to go. Like I said, almost always we can drink something even if we're stuffed from food. So you take advantage of that. Um, the, the, the next one I would say is <laughs> basically sandwiches aren't the devil, right? Like, I don't know about, about you guys, but like it's sort of a food that you couldn't consider be, be healthy and a lot of the people I'm uh, surrounded by. Now you can take, a bunch of ingredients that are like a lean protein source, some some veggies, you know, you've got some salad, some tomato, whatever. Um, and if you put that on a plate and I had to eat it as a salad, I'd get bored pretty quickly. Put mm. a couple of pieces of bread either side of it. I can get those calories in and, and I can probably come back for more. Um, the the other thing is to use uh, food, which th that sort of falls into, but use food uh, combining to your advantage. So basically, hyper, think of hyperpalatable foods, stuff like junk food that we all love. And we could, if, if it didn't have a bad uh, impact on us, we may well be happy just to shove in our face all day long. It's usually a combination of carbohydrate, fat and salt. OK, so potatoes, a good carb source, something that if I just boiled potatoes and put it on a plate for a skinny guy, he'd struggle to eat. But if I put some butter on it, a little bit of salt, <laughs> get mash, mash it up. All of a sudden, even the hardest of gainers and some of the small appetite, they can plow through quite a lot of mashed potato, right? And they've just used that kind of food science uh, thing approach. And really, they're still getting quality in because they're getting potatoes, some butter and some salt. That isn't, you know, so that's not bad, right? Um, it's just being smart around those things um, and using those, those tricks uh, to help. Like, you know, there's a reason that peanut butter jelly sandwiches are so popular for gaining weight because almost any- of anyone... kids. Yeah, yeah. They're easy. So you don't need skill They're, you can transport them pretty comfortably. You can get a boatload of calories in and they taste pretty damn good. So you can eat lots of them. I mean, set yourself up for success, find those things for you. But yeah, like that, the mashed potato one is one like I've, I've used that with loads of people. I'm like, I want you to eat 250 grams of potatoes with dinner. And I let them try it the first time. There's like, no way I felt sick. I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to blow your mind. Big, big chunk of butter, put some salt on it, mash it up. How about that? And they're like, Oh yeah, no, no worries. So, yeah, and so I, I think we just uh, it's really important to understand that I don't know if if this is what people look at it, but some people also, especially in the bulking phase or maybe even the cutting phase, is that they get confused with the fact that oh maybe my macros are more important. You know, I can do more carbs and more protein, less fat. So how does how does macros 
play a role either you're bulking or cutting like is that is that a huge factor when you're in a phase or should that be secondary it's secondary it's a big factor it is the secondary factor so i suppose the number one is your ability to adhere to whatever the plan is because no point having a perfect plan if you can't execute it and, and adhere to it so you need you need to pick and i think that's the thing people need to be honest with themselves they start out with an approach and they're like that's perfect on paper but there's no chance they're going to stick to this and that goes both cutting and, and gaining muscle um if you're if you look at your diet and you can't think oh, i'm not going to be able to stick with this a week a month maybe even a year from now then you know it's not sustainable now as we identified earlier if you've got a six a holiday in six weeks you may approach take a different approach where you're you're blitzing it to get that specific outcome bit your ability to adhere to the plan is the most important then when it comes to uh, nutrition number two calories are king whether that be gain weight lose weight you either need to be in a surplus to gain muscle or you need to be in a deficit to lose fat so they are the most important things you your energy balance your your calorie intake next most important are macros now if I'm honest, uh, the Pareto principle, 80% uh, of your results come from 20%. 80% of your physique goals will be taken care of from a diet standpoint, will be taken care from your energy balance, your calorie intake and your macros. Nail those two and they take a disproportionate amount of your results. Then quality, food quality, nutrient timing, nutritional periodization, supplementation, micronutrition, micro, yeah, micronutrition. Uh, these things, they all little layers on top, but like 80%. Is taken care of uh, by calorie surplus or deficit based on your goals and macro ratio. And then one of the things is that from a macro perspective is that you would definitely say that protein either way, if someone's losing or gaining protein is yeah. protein is, is uh, vital. And it's the, so it's the, when I'm set, if I'm working with someone we'll set calories, then I will set protein first because uh, well, it's, it's the most important, but if you've got uh, a dieting phase and you're in a deficit and you're consuming fewer calories than uh, you burn and you're losing weight, you want to protect it against muscle loss. And actually pr uh, protein is the most potent of the macros at, at doing that. So you make sure you have sufficient protein. And actually, if anything, and this is something people make a mistake of, you probably need more protein in a cut or in a, in a, in a deficit than you do in a surplus. But most not, people don't think that people, again, this is something I did way back in the day. I was like, oh, I want to gain muscle. I just eat more protein. I'm like having 400 grams of protein a day. Um, actually, when you're in a surplus, the risk of muscle loss is practically non-existent. It's then just make sure I have enough protein to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. And then any more than that is essentially a, a waste. Then top it up with uh, the fats and carbohydrates to hit the ratio I need. And this information just opens up doors for like so many different conversations. Like one thing that's come to my mind right now is that there, there's also research done that I think that's probably one of the reasons why people tend to high protein is because the more protein you consume, there's, there's been research that they still, uh, they did a research of two groups where like one group was given adequate protein and one group was given more protein and the people who had more protein lost more fat. So is that something that you've seen in your career and your training aspects as well? So for, for fat loss goals, uh, I've seen incredible success when you have, uh, what would people would consider high protein diets. Um, now, uh, it doesn't have to be that crazy. Um, if you're, if we're working on kilos, like two, um, 2.2 to say 2.6 grams per kilo has worked in, in, with the people I've worked with has worked great. Um, protein has a good impact on satiety. So it helps keep you full. 
And again, we're talking about adherence. If your goal is fat loss, you need to be able to adhere to a plan that keeps you in a deficit. So a, nutrient, a macronutrient like protein that helps you stay full is excellent. It also protects against muscle loss. Um, it's not as uh, the most powerful thing you can do is train, uh, lift weights um, with good intensity and, and, and you know, uh, and, and hard uh, enough to create a muscle building stimulus. And whilst you may not build muscle in a deficit, if you've got that muscle building stimulus, you can be pretty sure you're providing a, a, a muscle building retention uh, stimulus, if not actually building new muscle. But then after that, eat sufficient protein. And so it is, it is critical uh, in, in fat loss phases. And yes, that's why I said earlier, you, you may want slightly higher protein in a, in a fat loss phase than in a uh, surplus. Uh, there's the thermic effect of feeding as well as protein, again, which is helpful when you are dieting. So to break down a gram of um, protein takes a bit more energy for your body to do than it does to break down carbohydrate. So you can have the same amount of calories coming in if you, mm -hmm. no one would do this, but if it was purely from protein versus purely from carbohydrate, the thermic effects of feeding and, and protein being harder to break down would mean that you would actually burn a few more calories. So your deficit would be fractionally larger. And all of those little right. things can help. Absolutely. So real quick, we're talking about calorie surplus. Now we touched on like, you know, just eat a lot and, and proteins are number one. Uh, but for beginners, just quick example of what's the best way for them to bulk, how long they should do it for. And then alongside that, uh, maybe like a yearly outline, like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. January, February, do this, uh, just something quick like that for beginners. Yeah, ab absolutely. No problem at all. So, uh, well, with a beginner, um, actually, they can they can build uh, muscle for quite some time um, and it, it, it changes through your career. Um, but yeah, you could probably be in a surplus for a year. And, and that would be okay, right? And now it can, yeah. it depends. You get some people are naturally skinny like me um, and that would be fine. Um, and then you get some guys who are a beginner but they're you know, naturally chubbier or they've, they've carried higher levels of body fat and it may be a bit different for them. So of course, you know, everything is case dependent but as a rule of thumb, um, you can build muscle for six months to a year. You can be in what people would consider a, a bulking phase. I personally like using the term building um, is a little bit of semantics, but bulking, you know, like I, I thought of that as I can eat anything I want. Everything's fair game. I'm just gaining weight. This is awesome. I'm going to get massive. And really what happened is I just got a bit fat and sloppy. Whereas building, uh, and I've found this with when I'm working with clients as well, the psychology is a bit different because we think of building, you know, you lay foundations. It's brick by brick. It's incremental and it's something positive and I'm building my body. And then that means that they then seem to be able to adhere to uh, a more sensible nutrition approach rather than just somebody hand me some cookies and a pizza and then wrap them together and I'll, I'll blend them up and I'll have that seven times a day or whatever the people, people sort of get carried away with with their bulking. Um, but what I would suggest with your practical takeaways, for people that are bulking up, it's always a personal thing, changing our physique. It's very emotional. We're emotionally attached to it. And it's one of the reasons why having someone to be like a coach where it was helpful because we lose logic. I lose my own logic with my own things. Like I'll have someone take a look at my stuff rather than, than do it on myself because uh, I'll overthink it and I can't think rationally about myself. But you'll know when you feel like, oh, I've, I've gained weight and I, I don't quite look like who I, how I look. Like I feel a bit soft. Now that might be different from one person to the next, but it doesn't make it right for one and wrong for the other. The, you know, the, you have to feel comfortable in it. The whole journey of this training should be to enhance your life and make you feel better about yourself. So if you feel a bit uncomfortable uh, at a certain body fat when you've been gaining uh, in, a, in, a, in a building phase for six months, 
but someone else is telling you, oh, you know what, you need to do this for a year in your first year of training. Screw that. Like you've got to, you've got to make sure you do what's right for you. So by the same token, if you're someone that's like, you know what, I just want to be massive. I don't care if I gain a little bit of fat, I can lose that down the road. I just want to get as big as possible. Then don't let someone who wants to see their abs 365 days a year influence you. Mm-hmm. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to do what's, what's right for you. And, and on the, on the course or on the spectrum of what works, there's quite a big, big bandwidth there for you to pick chart your course. Um, I would say again, though, when I'm working with people, like I'll have progress pictures and stuff like I tend to prefer that they gain at that 0.25 to half a percent of a body weight per week. Right. Um, I will, I would like to be able to see an outline of their abs at all times when they're gaining like, and that will soften over time. But when, when we start to lose that um, and it doesn't have to be like a full on rip six pack that just cause that start trying to stay shredded year round, you will not build sufficient muscle unless you're one of the 0.2% of the population. That's a genetic free. Genetics. Yeah, exactly. Unless in which case you're not listening to this, right? Because you don't need my guidance. You're just, you go and you go and lift weights and, you know, drink a beer and have a pizza and you're, you're jacked. So you're not listening to this. Like I'm talking to the people that are tuning into this, finding how can I help myself? Um, then we gain at that. We, we like to be able to see an outline of your abs um, in half decent lighting. You know, don't, don't go and find like the absolute best lighting, get a pump on flex and go, no, I'm good. Like, don't you, be honest with yourself, but you want to be able to have that outline of the abs. And then as long as you've got that, I'm pretty comfortable with, we can keep pushing up. And as long as you're happy and you feel comfortable, great. If, if I get a client say, oh, I know what, I'm not quite liking how I look. All right, we've probably pushed this as far as we can. We'll go into a maintenance phase, consolidate our gains here, um, and, and then we'll go into a cut. And actually, well, I've touched on the maintenance. We talked about big mistakes. That's just, that's just a key one, especially for skinny guys, right? Mm. So the big mistake, they bulk up, they, they gain, say they gain 15 pounds over a few months, you know, several months, whatever. They immediately flip to a cut and they go into a big deficit and what happens is those last few pounds they built at the end of that building phase just, just disappears overnight. And like, mm. this was a revelation to me. I, I'd love to say I had this epiphany. It was all my own thinking. I attended a seminar by uh, Dr. Mike Israel about six years ago. And he talked about the importance of maintenance phases physiques. And I kind of connected the dots up and I was like, oh, you know what? You need to own the new normal. Your, your body has like settling points. Um, and people think of this a lot with fat, fat loss going down and then it's settling there to avoid the rebound. But it's the same. If you build your way up uh, using a surplus, but you immediately, immediately transition to a cut, it's, it's going to find it quite easy. Your body's natural point is down here. It's going to drop back there really easily. I'm like, as a skinny guy, it's so frustrating. You get to this high point, you own the weight, you make it your new normal. You spend a period of about a month where you just eat to maintain your weight, you, you, you make that weight stick, then you cut and you'd be amazed at how you disproportionately lose fat. Like you retain that muscle that you built and you, and you look better. Sure, you have to put in this extra month, but it's so worth it because if you don't do that, you, you lose all that muscle and you've got to go through the process of trying to build it again. And it is a lot easier to retain muscle than it is to build muscle. So don't build it only to piss it away is my, is my message there. Absolutely. And for me, I mean, I've never been skinny. I was actually 200 pounds, but I realized that how difficult it is when you actually pay attention to building muscle and like eating the right foods. Now on, on the, on that topic of like, you know, bulking, what would you say? I know, I know this is probably like something people are always like asking you because nobody wants to eat clean and bulk. Everyone wants to <laughs> yes. go the other route of like eating pizzas, burgers, and like whatever they want. So what would you say is the best way and how can they incorporate traditional healthy food versus junk food 
and how difficult or I would say how easy it is, uh, what, however you want to put it, to gain less fat while you're bulking? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a uh, good question. And of course, it's the question that we all really want to know because you know, we all want to get Everyone jacked wants and lean. You want yeah. fat. So the, the first thing is to, uh, I suppose there's various points I'd make around that question. So first one I, I touched on earlier is like, ignore the, gain, uh, the myth of lean gains. So you are un- highly unlikely to be able to just build pure muscle, right? It's hard to swallow. We all think oh, if I get my training just right and I'll, I'll optimize my nutrient timing and I get my sleep, I'll just, I'll just build muscle. It won't happen, right? <laughs> it's not going to happen. Your first few months of training, sure. Uh, or if you're coming off a layoff and you're getting back into it, absolutely. But under normal, normal circumstances, that's not happening. So number one is, except there will be some fat gain. Okay, that's the first thing. Then it's manage that, minimize that, maximize muscle gain, minimize fat gain. How do we do that? We gain at an appropriate rate. You need a surplus to gain. You can only build muscle so quickly. A bigger surplus doesn't mean you gain more muscle. It just means you gain more fat. Once you've tapped out your muscle gain for the week, as it were, any additional calories are likely just to be stored as fat. So that's why I like that quarter to a half a percent of uh, weight per week. Now, that won't be pure muscle. It's important people understand they're not gaining like a uh, half percent of their body weight of lean tissue every week, but it's enough that you can measure it and track it over time on the scales. If we go much slower than that, I find it's really difficult. There's, there's like at least a dozen reasons why your weight fluctuates. You might get a false positive. If you have a higher carbohydrate meal the night before, every gram of carbohydrate you eat, you store about three grams of water. Your weight's artificially elevated. You think, great, I'm in a surplus. But actually the next day you have your carbs, uh, you know, you don't have so many carbs and actually... It wasn't real weight gain. It was it was water weight. Right. So quarter to a half percent because it's enough that you can be pretty confident there has been a noticeable, genuine change on the scales. It's also enough that you can guarantee like you're not building muscle any quicker than that. Let's be honest, right? So you are not leaving any muscle on the table if you gain at that rate. But we're just at the threshold where I think we're keeping fat at a, a perfectly acceptable uh, level. So sure, some's gaining, but it's not an outrageous amount. And as I've said a couple of times already, it is so much quicker to lose that. Like, um, think of the analogy, uh, the best one I can think of for this is, um, if you imagine building a house, right? It takes months, maybe years, whatever, depending on how, quite how big that house is to build it. But you can burn a house down really quickly. When it comes to muscle gain and fat loss, it's almost like that. Muscle gain is that building process. It takes time. Fat loss can be rapid. So yeah. uh, so th- that would be my, my, my take on on making sure that we optimize uh, the rate and composition of our gains, predominantly muscle with minimal fat. Right. And then again, I just, I, I know because I asked you two full questions about the junk food versus the health. Ah, like. Yes. So again, I suppose it's, we circle back around hierarchy of needs. If you can achieve a surplus of what people consider clean foods, awesome. Do it. Um, I think you will get a broader spectrum of micronutrients, which will be good for your health um mm-hmm. and, and i think that's definitely um beneficial you'll probably keep inflammation under control so you know all of these things however i mean embrace it like again we suppose this is meant to be enjoyable um you're in a period of time when you're intentionally consuming enough food to gain weight well that's an opportunity to have some of your favorite foods now it doesn't mean you've got free uh like carte blanche to go and uh, consume anything and everything that will go b- badly for you but uh, incorporate some of your favorite foods in there because when you're dieting it's much harder to do that this is the time when it's easy to do it means you if you want to go out for a meal with friends and socialize are absolutely perfect i no, no stress 
I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally gaining weight at the moment. I can do that and be uh, fairly comfortable that I'm, I'm actually eating towards my goals. And sure, I might overconsume a little bit, but you can, uh, you know, you can drop a little bit off uh, a couple of meals earlier in the day to balance that out or the days either side, whatever you can manage that. No big deal. Um, and if you're gaining in that range of quarter to a half percent, it's all good. So from a practical standpoint, one of the ways I, I have that with people is they, they basically have um, the structure of their meal plan, which is not prescribed by me, but we've come together. Okay, these kind of foods you like, and they all, they're all good ones, and it hits your calories and your macro needs. Um, two times a week, you know, you've got a free meal. As long as you're gaining in the appropriate range, I'm comfortable with that. Like, you know, and then and if, if that's acceptable to them, if they're like, okay, great, I can go out with my girlfriend and I can meet my, my, my mates and we can have a meal at both occasions and I just have whatever I want and I can yeah. still get my goals. Is, you know, and I'm like, is that, does that sound okay to you? Like, is that sustainable? Yeah, great. If, if they're hitting everything, you know, everything else, if they're having five meals a day, that's 35 meals a week. If 33 of them are bang on point and only two are off, like, man, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm, like, I'm a happy coach. Um, and and they're, they're probably also happy as well. So are you also, real quick, you mentioned uh, micronutrients. And I know a lot of beginners, including myself in the beginning, focus on carbs, fats, and protein being macros. Uh, what are micronutrients and why might they be important? Okay, so vitamins and minerals, uh, your micronutrients and... Um, Obviously, vitamins and minerals are, are beneficial and useful uh, and for any all, number of uh, enzymatic reactions and processes within the body. Um, you know, for example, magnesium, I think they say it's involved in over 300 different processes within the body. So you need, you need those. The other thing I would say, again, while it's probably less of a concern in a surplus, like when you're having an abundance of calories, your chances are, unless you are like eating Pop-Tarts, protein shakes and peanut butter, you are probably getting a pretty good uh, spectrum of micronutrition because you're having an abundance of calories micronutrition is more of a concern um when you're when you're dieting because you're t taking on fewer overall calories right so there's there's fewer opportunities for you to get micronutrition in so that's when i really do tend to push people hard for focus on nutrient dense low calorie foods okay and then that, that's a real big emphasis there because you don't want to be you want to be in a calorie deficit, but you don't want to be malnourished, if that kind of makes sense. You, want to be, you don't want to be in a nutrient deficit. You want to be in a calorie deficit when, when losing weight. When you're in a surplus, like, again, unless you eat like an idiot, you should be able to, to get stuff, uh, you know, in a, a broad enough spectrum in there. Like, for example, I have like what I call the base camp diet for people. And that is that they eat four meals a day. They have two uh, servings of different fruits in the course of the day. And at three of those meals, they have to have at least two different vegetables. Okay. And I'm like, again, cause you're building like, can you do this? You know, how confident do you think you, you can adhere to this whatever? Um, if, if they can do that and they do that every day, chances are we're getting a pretty good, uh, like if they're in a surplus, a pretty good micronutrient, uh, blend, uh, you know, sort of a, a mix across the course of the day. Uh, and, and yeah, and, and everything's going well. So, uh, in a, in a surplus, it's a little bit different. That's, uh, that's really I think that's where the factor comes in of eating healthy food is because the healthy foods cover the micro and the macronutrients that your body needs. Now, on that topic, I just wanted to, this is going to be a loaded question for you, Tom, is that a lot of times when people are bulking and then they cut, it's a difference between, you know, oh, I'm bloated or I'm skinny fat or I'm just like, you know, I just don't have the proper definition or the proper uh, angle that, that, I'm, that I'm looking at or I have loose skin. How would you say that, like, how can people differentiate and 
let's say someone does have loose skin or skinny fat, does them bulking and trying to build muscle get rid of that? Mm -hmm. Okay, so so skinny fat is someone who looks slim in clothes, but they take their t-shirt off and they've got a bit of a pot belly, for example, but their limbs, so your limbs are small, uh, but your torso, no muscle, guys, but, but is, yeah, no muscle, no muscle mass, but, and, and they have a reasonable amount of fat around their midsection. So they're, they're like, they're, you know, maybe they've got some moves, uh, they're, they're, oh, and, <laughs> and a bit, and a bit of a gut or on the love handle. That, that, that's like the typical um, look. Um, and that is different to loose skin, I suppose, because like loose skin, you don't necessarily uh, have that obvious, oh, there's a lot here. Like if loose skin is this, this, you know, well, literally that, there's not fat necessarily underneath it. The skin is just a bit loose. And it's more commonly someone who's been a lot bigger and come down uh, in weight. So uh, th those are the sort of, those are the differences. Um, if you're skinny fat, uh then absolutely you can transform that and change that if if you're skinny fat and you've never trained before well welcome to being like a, a man in the 21st century like most most guys who uh have never trained are either just fat or skinny fat and i suppose it's probably better to be skinny fat in terms of easier than to progress your physique because you you can put some size on and you'll probably find that actually if you start having some training discipline and dietary restraint, the, the fat will take care of itself and come off as well. Um, if you're a skinny fat beginner, you're one of those people who can get that dream combo of fat loss muscle gain. Loose skin is a different thing. Um, it depends how severe. I'm not an expert on it. So um, I know that, you know, like some really severe cases, they'll need surgical intervention, nothing else will fix it. And then I know that having um, had some clients in the past who are extremely obese it's just it, it, it seems to be a time thing they they lose the weight and then they keep the weight off long enough then they're like oh, oh that loose that loose skin that used to bother me like now it's it's not there right? like it feels a little bit more tighter i guess yeah yeah and i would have to say this is that is not an area of expertise so i can't give you a good scientific uh background or uh evidence on that that's just only observational from a handful of clients but i had one one guy who lost um 12 stones so that is uh 12 times four so 12 times four it, it would be pounds so that's uh, 12 times 14 sorry would be how many pounds that is so um 148 pounds yeah i lost 140 i lost 148 pounds and for unsurprisingly had some loose skin but then he's kept that weight off for uh, like a decade and now he well, i mean maybe Maybe there's a, a it's not 100, but basically that is not a concern for him now. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, I, I, sorry, yeah. just to interrupt. I know there was one question I didn't answer earlier, and I want to give you an answer for it, which was the you said map out a year's worth of training for muscle gain. Yes. Oh yes, yes. That so, and I think uh, that was also going to add on about uh, the workouts, right? Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. Cool. So let me quickly while while I remember that one, we'll do that, and I go, I go with that because I I, I realised I completely missed that out. So. <laughs> The way I would um, would sequence this, right? So you would, um, it depends where you are in the world as well, I suppose, when your summer is like, I have clients in Australia and it's very different to when like we're cold and shivering, it's their summer in the UK, it's their summer. But yeah. um, map things out, like ordinarily, I would say January is a really good time to be uh, like a mini cut, a, diet, a short dieting phase because most people have overindulged over the festive period. Um, you know, for example, I see most of my clients back here in the UK after Christmas. And let's be fair, they've had too much to eat and drink for a month. They haven't been very active and they've usually gained a little bit of body fat. The other thing is that because everyone's done that, everyone's 
really health conscious for a month. Uh, or maybe it runs out after two weeks, but there's less people inviting you out for dinner for drinks. So capitalize on that, make life easy for yourself. So that's the time for a mini cut. So I would do, and a mini cut is a diet between two and six weeks, but let's call it four weeks. So for those people in the UK, that would be January is a, a mini cut because it's only four weeks. We go relatively aggressive. You can lose a little bit quicker and the chance of muscle loss is very small in only a four week window. So I would probably be looking for about a percent of their body weight lost every week for those four weeks, but you could lose 2% in week one and I wouldn't be panicking. After that, I would then switch into a, and, and we're, we're working on my demographic here. They're not overweight, traditionally overweight people. They maybe have just a little bit of body fat they've accumulated over Christmas. They want to shift. It's not someone who's obese. We will then tr transition immediately into a building phase. Mm. Um, the way I do a building phase, I, I end up coming like four sub phases within that. And each one is usually three to five weeks. So we're looking at anything between 12 and 20 weeks worth of you know being in a surplus and intentionally gaining weight and training in a body style, uh, bodybuilding style. So let's call it four months. So then that takes care of February, March, April, and May. Then I talked about the maintenance phase. A maintenance phase, and I will usually do that for about a month or four weeks. And in that phase, we eat to maintain the new high body weight they've got at the end of their, their bulk. We'll drop training volume down really low just to the maintenance training. So it, like I said, it's a lot easier to maintain muscle mass than it is to build it. So we do the least amount of training that's effective at retaining muscle, which is significantly less than what you need to build it. That has two benefits. Number one, it means they own the new body weight and they can consolidate at that high body weight. So when they then diet, they retain muscle mass, but also it resensitizes them to the stimulus of high volume, hard training. So we take advantage of the fact that we're just trying to maintain our weight and hold on to these gains by dropping volume low, refreshes you essentially. Any sort of sense of just fatigue and need of a deload is taken care of across those four weeks. Any nagging injuries or repetitive strain things you may have accumulated after 20 weeks of hard training, they tend to settle down. Um, and then when you then go into dieting, essentially your training when you're dieting doesn't need to be that different to when you're building, but you're in a deficit. So you tend to not be able to handle quite so much volume, but we're going to probably still want to put a reasonable amount of training volume through you. So then you're refreshed and resensitized to the effects of that um, when you go into your cutting phase. So it means you can make your cutting phase more effective, which means it's uh, more efficient and shorter. So then depending if, if someone just wants to get lean enough to bulk again, it's a mini cut. So it's two to six weeks. If they want to get shredded, that takes a bit longer. So we might be looking at a 12 to 16 week diet, like some, some of the guys that are prepping for a photo shoot or a natural bodybuilding competition. And then I probably put some kind of maintenance at the back end of that diet. So we just uh, can, can refresh mentally more than anything else. If they flog themselves in a mini cut, sorry, just to clarify in a mini cut, you don't need the maintenance after going, you can go straight back into another bulk because all you're doing with a mini cut is getting lean enough to be in a good position to bulk again. If for guys that I've taken to doing like a natural bodybuilding show or, or a photo shoot and they're incredibly lean, that can be quite psychologically draining. So a bit of, a bit of time off after that. So then a main, maybe a maintenance phase works well. And then essentially it's a cyclical process. It, and and the, case, the, the point is you go up, you come down, but the, the trend line over time is like positive. You're getting bigger and leaner over time. But we, we basically flow through that process over, uh, over and over again. Um, does, does that sort of map things out reason me yes. clearly yeah absolutely, really absolutely. and i think it's you you broke it down into so much detail that it's very really simplified that how everyone mm -hmm. can take on the take on the step and you know move on to it 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. I had okay. one last question. I know we're getting close to, but uh, I'm sure a lot of people want to switch it over to the workout topic. And I saw on your social or your Instagram, for example, you got a lot of good workouts, especially you being in quarantine and lockdown right now for things to do at home. So, uh, once two part question as well, but five minimal workouts with like I saw you doing a dumb, one dumbbell workout and many mm-hmm. things with that, for example. So, what are the top five minimal workouts for cutting and top five for bulking or you could just say top five in general. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I would say I'll go probably in general in as much as the, when you're cutting, you're still training to your goal is you're training to stimulate muscle gain. The deficit dictates that you lose fat, but you're trying to create that muscle building stimulus. And it's probably more of a muscle retaining stimulus, but still the, the, the training style doesn't have to be that drastically different. Think of it. Um, let me come up with an analogy for this, uh, like, like a car. So you put your foot on the pedal. That's, uh, and that's your training and your diet is the steering wheel. So do you steer towards a uh, muscle gain or so fat loss? Right. Okay. So that makes, so you, the tr- the, you still put the foot on the pedal for each, just the direction you take is different based on your, your nutrition. So, um, so then the workouts won't have to be that different, but minimal equipment stuff. So I think the video from memory that you're truly talking about is I did what I would call a full contractile range tricep for, for, for the biceps, for bicep cuts. Mm-hmm. So a muscle has, uh, we can break it down into sort of three basic um, ranges. It has a lengthened range, uh, a short, a fully shortened range, and then like a mid range. And then uh, generally we're weakest in the fully shortened, then the lengthened and then the mid. So you can, with, uh, so I just had one set of dumbbells at home, um, only one weight. I would start with the weakest position, which was a fully shortened, so like a spider car. Um, and then into a lengthened position. So like a, an incline curl where I'm a little bit stronger. So I can using that, I can go to fatigue but, uh, and it's like a mechanical drop set. So uh, whereas a traditional drop set, you drop the load in this, I manipulate my body position to make the exercise a little bit easier as I go. So uh, a spider curl into an incline curl, which I did braced against the wall and then just a regular curl. And that's my, so I go from weakest to strongest, which means I keep getting a few more reps in each position and I can just, um, lengthen the set and create more overall workload through the muscle. So uh, another example of how you can do that with body weight would be press-ups. If you have uh, feet elevated push-ups, which kind of mimics like an incline press, but that's your weakest. And then you go to uh, a regular press-up on the ground, and then you turn yourself around and you put your hands on whatever you had your feet elevated on. And then that's a little bit easier. It mimics like a decline, but you're stronger there. And then you, 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 that is a mechanical drop set again. You go from the position where you're weakest and you make the exercise slightly easier by manipulating your body position each time. You can do that for any number of exercises. For example, if you have like a pull-up bar with various attachments, like wide grips, uh, hands away, you could then go to like wide, but with a neutral grip and then finally palms facing towards you in a narrow grip. And you won't get as many reps in the final position as you did in the first one, but you just go from slightly slightly uh, easier progressions each time to keep creating the volume. Uh, so those are three kind of me- mechanical drop set ones. Um, we were looking for minimal equipment, right? Yes, yeah, minim- yes. Minimal to no, just given the current scenario, because I mean, you guys are still in lockdown, so. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, so, okay, so if you've got a band, I th- I th- I've got a video of this as well, but you can adjust your, uh, like doing a single arm chest press. Yes, <laughs> and you could do the same, same thing to create a full contractile range on a, um, uh, like a chest press. If you wrap it, anchor it around someone, you've got it in one hand. If you turn yourself on, so I'll go like this, so I'm pressing across my left here, I get the muscle into a really fully shortened position. 
because what fully shortened is if you, a muscle always has um, its origin, where it starts from, and it's insertion. And the origin is more central to the body. It's like the, the midline of the body or whatever, um, uh, closer to um, the, 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 the middle of the body or the center. And then the extremity is the insert where it inserts onto. I just want to take those muscles or that work that muscle from its fully lengthened to its fully shortened position. But with a band, the tension is really high at some points and it eases off. If you turn yourself like side on and press across your body, you can get those fibers really, really close because my pec attaches from here onto my upper arm. So they're really tight. This in that fully contracted range is when the tension really comes on. There's nothing much way back in a stretch position, but that's okay. Then I turn myself around a little bit and then mm -hmm. I'm working in here and the real, the tension kicks in and, and I'm working through the mid range because Again, I, I'm not really on camera here, but like the angle of my torso relative to my arm. And then finally, I can twist myself again and I'm deep in the stretch and it's, it's, there's a tension there. And I might not be able to finish the rep because the tension gets so high, but I can then work in that range through partial reps. But there is a lot of tension through there. So it's just, just ways of, I suppose, if you know the origin insertion of muscles, that's it helps, right? And most people listening don't, but, um, yeah. but, but that helps. And so knowing how you can manipulate your body or... Uh, much like those mechanical drop sets I talked about in the first example, to tax certain parts of the range and fully fatigue um, the, the muscle. Um, and that, it's really impressive that how just the body movement with minimal equipment or like doing nothing makes so much difference on, on the way you work out and creates tension. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I suppose the one other thing then is if you've got uh, for tips, tips for at home, like a couple of couple of things, push closer to failure. Um, if you've got limited weight, you, you want to have to use higher reps and, and go to failure, but perhaps use supersets or drop sets or mechanical drop sets, like I said, to create that stimulus because you need muscle building as a tension dependent uh, activity. You need to place tension across the fibers. So you need to find a way to create sufficient fatigue and tension on those. Um, so high reps, take them to failure. If you, if anything up to 30 reps, if you hit failure within 30 reps, you've probably provided a potent muscle building stimulus. That's the good news. So there's plenty of exercises that actually people could do and like they'll hit failure before they hit 30 reps if they do it properly and that, and that would do it. Um, the tempo and putting pauses in. So if you even if you've got an exercise, uh, you can do 30 reps on or more than 30 reps before you hit failure. I bet if you slow, low, slow your lowering phase down, pause at the bottom position, for two seconds so you have no momentum and then focus on the muscle doing the work contracting the muscle to make the movement happen you can probably make um lots of bodyweight exercises very very challenging so just realizing that cranking out reps uh at a fast pace isn't necessarily what you need you might actually need to slow it down and make sure the muscle that you the target muscle is under tension yeah that slowing down and uh you know pauses i feel like that creates that mind muscle connection so you have more of focus over time and it's more yeah. effective. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things I talked to a lot, I mean, when we first went into lockdown, we thought it was only a few weeks, but <laughs> talked a lot about clients is use this to, to your advantage. Like, as you said, the mind muscle connection and your ability to recruit certain muscles, a lot of guys, if they bench press, they can't tell their chest is working, but if they do a press mm. up and they do it nice and slowly, they pause at the bottom and they think about as they press up, they have like an internal uh, cueing of, I'm going to try and contract my pecs. So imagine someone's pressing against them. I'm going to push their fingers away. And then I'm going to squeeze my hands in across the floor. The hands don't move, but the intention is in. That creates friction, and that friction is going to then create more force uh, and, and tension through the pec. And then the key was, look, see if you can, you can learn to recruit your chest better. So when you come back in the gym and you've 
got dumbbells or barbells or a machine, you've, you've ingrained those abilities to, to tax the chest and place the focus there. Now, when you've got these other implements, you'll be able to take your training to a, a whole next another level because you can get more out of those implements. Whereas before, maybe you were just moving it from A to B without a thought. So there you have it, folks. Like you can do a lot more than just regular workouts when you're at home with no equipment. And I know, Tom, again, we keep mentioning this, that we're coming up on our time. We've, we've talked about so much. We discussed skinny fat, discussed bulking, discussed cutting, discussed different workouts, and discussed different training. And I'm much, and there's so much more conversation we can have, but I know due to your shortness of time, we'll definitely love to have you again. One final question I have for you is, and this is, this is, this is a really fun, fun part of what I call the podcast, that one person, dead or alive, you'd like to work out with or train uh well i mean Ar arnie would be good uh, i suppose you probably <laughs> you're, you're probably going to get his him him a number of times like i imagine for two very popular choices would be like arnie or the rock i guess um yeah i'll go i'll go so just to have a different one um i'll go jean-claude van damme wow okay that's nice. that's a first that's really impressive uh and tom just before we close off i know uh your instagram handle is tom mac c of uh, sorry mac K-O-R-M-I-C-K, is that correct? Oh, it's impossible to spell my name. Uh, so it's, <laughs> I so, always yeah. get it as MC, and then I'm like, no, he has an A in his name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, someone along the lines made a mistake, right, when they were filling out a birth certificate. <laughs> but um, it's, yeah, so Tom, and the surname is M-A-C-C-O-R-M-I-C-K. Um, no one can spell that right, but yeah, once you've done it a few times, you'll find it. But basically, it's Mac or Mick. So that's it. Awesome. So that's where you can find him. And before, again, before we close out, I want you to quickly touch on your latest program, your T21. It's something that you've been working on for a while. It's something that has like proven results. And I know you just, you're about to finish your first phase and your second phase is about to open up. Just quickly touch on that for the audience. So if they want to, you know, apply this information, they can get in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. So essentially what it is, 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 is what I've been doing with clients in person. Um, and I was like, oh, I need to put this out there for other people to follow along. So they have this structure because I find people don't know what to do, what, 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 what training follows on from the next, what makes sense? When should I make those changes? How should my nutrition adjust with the training? Um, how long can I build for before I need to maintain and then cut all these things? So it, essentially what I looked at was on average, the process from um, the four phase building plan I have, um, a maintenance phase and a cut. If I look back over all the people I've worked with, it's a, yeah, 21 weeks is about average. And then of course we were coming into 2021. So it made, it made sense in that respect as well. So um, it, cause it, it started out as the, as a, uh, like it's a 20 weeks. And then I was like, oh, maybe like 21 weeks more makes more sense. Um, and they get more coaching for, for the same price. So yeah, 21 weeks, the, the essentially is, I break the building phase into a primer phase which is uh, a phase where we, we the, the concept is we prime you for growth so you like we talked about learning the skills and contracting particular muscles but there's um four s's that i focus on it's um stability structural balance skill and then strength so the skill of your main indicator lifts so i'm a big proponent and we have some core lifts uh, and they for an individual so my core lifts will be different to your core lifts uh, but those are the lifts we're going to hang our hat on. We're going to track progress over time. We want to get really good at these. So we ingrain the skill. So they have a bit more sets uh, further from failure in the primer phase. So we're just we're, we're motor learning, skill acquisition. Then we've got structural balance, which is strength from left to right, front to back uh, to avoid injuries. 
Um, so uh, stability is your ability to resist force as opposed to your ability to exert force. And a lot of people find injuries because they lack stability, so they can't fully display strength in the target muscle. Um, and then strength is strength in end ranges. So like I talked, people are weak in shortened range and lengthened positions. We spend some time with exercises specifically developing those because if you're strong at the extreme ranges, you're strong in the middle for sure. Anyway, then after that, we have um, three progressively increasing volume phases for where you, you make the real gains. The first phase kind of sets the scene for gains. You make some muscle mass, but it's really set the scene. Then we have three subsequent phases where you build a lot of muscle. Um, and then through tension as a focus, mechanical tension. The fourth phase, uh, we use metabolic stress simply because people start to adapt to the mechanical tension stimulus. So we need to provide a novel stimulus. Metabolic stress is one of the pathways of um, hypertrophy and it works really well, but it only really works well for a short period of time. So rather than having it the whole way, we have a dedicated phase to that. After that, we have the maintenance phase I talked about, and then uh, people go into a mini cut so they can dis display the physique they've built. Uh, and I do that, as you said, as a group coaching thing, it's been great. We've got the first intake going through. I was due to launch the next very soon, but since we're all in lockdown here, I think I'm gonna time it for when gyms reopen, which as things stand is April the 12th. So it will be the new intake will be uh, you know, set up to be that week. April the 12th is the plan. Awesome. And uh, again, to the audience listening, this is a proven method. You will not be disappointed. You will probably get your dream body that you've always wanted. And Tom works with a nutritionist as well. So you will have your personalized meal plan and workouts. I assume, Tom? Uh, yes. So you, with the people, they get um, calorie and macronutrient targets. So they, they know their numbers there and they get, well, they get sent a seven week, uh, sorry, seven day meal plan, which is every day is different, but that's not prescriptive. Uh, we worked with, um, you know, like the, the nutritionist uh, to, to have options, but it basically just to, to be illustrative. So, okay, these kinds of foods and this kind of quantity is what I need to hit my macros. But then of course, like, you know, they might not like you know certain foods or they may love other foods um, and then they get that flexibility so the idea is you use this as a framework and then you, you you know you've got a meal plan and macro target and between the two you should be able to make the diet that really fits you so like i said key point early on then they could adhere to it and, and hit the the calories and macros week in week out awesome awesome again tom thank you so much for being with us today for sharing all this information we definitely definitely hope and we definitely want to have you again on the show we look forward to speaking with you again my pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you very much for taking the time. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow the Instagram page 2325fitness for more health and fitness information. If you have any questions, please send us an email at 2325.fit at gmail.com. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast.